the idea started in the late 90s and uh, it was uh, the brainchild of a gentleman named Guy Legere. It was the desire to create a clarinet reed that was unaffected by heat and humidity and was reliable and consistent. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 157 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today, our special guest on the program is Sean King. He's the manager of artist and customer experience at Legere Reeds. We discuss how the idea of synthetic reeds came to be, how the products have changed and improved over the years, some tips and tricks on switching to synthetic reeds and getting the most out of your reeds once you do, and Legere's new European cut synthetic reeds that offer a lot of new exciting features. Before we get started today, of course, I'd love to thank our sponsors for making the show possible. You can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. They have 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice. And you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs with their barrels, bells, mouthpieces, and clarinets. As a thank you for listening to the podcast, you can save 10% on your next purchase at bakunmusical.com. All you have to do is use code CLARENEAT at checkout. That's code CLARENEAT at bakunmusical.com. Also, today's special guest is also a sponsor of our show. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reeds, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. The European cut reed is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Carada Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. I'm here today with Sean King, who is the Manager of Customer and Artist Experience at Legere Reads, coming to us today from Toronto. Sean, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Sean. So this is a conversation a long time in the making. Those who've listened to the podcast for a while will know that I first chatted with Legere Reads way back in, must have been like 2016. So amazingly, that's five years ago now. And five years, as we all know, is an eternity in the technology kind of industry and uh, innovation. And back then, you guys were just launching the European Synthetic Reads for clarinet. And you've got a bunch more new products now. So we're going to dive into that today. Maybe do a quick overview of the brand for those people who are just tuning in and haven't tried Synthetic Reads before. But First of all, just to start with, I'm wondering if you could give a quick sort of introduction to not only your role at Legere there, but also how you got into this industry and your own musical experience. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my role at the company is uh, the manager of artist and customer experience, which is um, basically reaching out all customer um, service inquiries that come into the company, as well as managing our um, artist, our endorsing artist program, of course, as you know, Sean. I also manage our trade show program, as well as a number of other little bits and pieces here and there. And I got into the company through um, my work originally with a a company in Canada called uh, Long & McQuaid. That's a a big music retailer in uh, Canada, where I worked for quite a while at the big location they have in Toronto. And... uh, you know, just met the right people and moved on from there. My background is as a musician, which is very, very helpful in this industry, of course. And uh, but I'm a I'm a bass player by trade, and uh, I studied composition at the University of Toronto, uh, with a bachelor's and a master's later on. And then I ended up um, taking degrees in marketing, which uh, really has helped me 
in this industry. And uh, well, right now I'm working on my MBA, which is also pretty cool. Um, but while I was at U of T, I picked up woodwinds as well, mostly to do music theater, which got me started doing doubling at a very, very um, early point in uh, the woodwinds career that I've managed to carve out for myself. And uh, so now I've got the whole suite of woodwinds and basses here. Bass, bass clarinet, double bass, bassoon. I've got a baritone saxophone around here somewhere. You got the low end covered. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you find a niche and you stick to it. I love it. You know, it's so interesting because uh, you were working at Long McQuaid some years ago, you said, and uh, back in the day, that's actually the place where I bought my first synthetic reed. And this was back when they were very new. I was in marching band from uh, 1998 until 2004 and playing clarinet for the first years. And then don't tell anyone on here, but I switched to percussion. So my first couple years in marching band, one of the things that came out that was kind of all the rage for the students to be trying was the Leger reeds back then. And I remember trying to convince my mom back then to buy a, you know, rather expensive read and that I would take care of it was quite a challenge, but I, I got it and I loved that thing for marching bands. So let's go all the way back to that kind of beginning for a second. The first listener question here, actually, and thank you to all who sent those in, by the way, um, is from Laura Clarinetist, who I think many people will know, but she said, where did the idea for a synthetic read come from? Uh, actually, I've played in two of the uh, virtual concert bands. Oh, excellent. Uh, amazingly enough on bass clarinet. So hopefully she sees this and looks me in there. Um, the idea started in the late 90s. And uh, it was uh, the brainchild of a gentleman named Guy Legere, who is the founder, one of the founders of the company. And he was an amateur clarinetist in kind of northern Ontario-ish. And uh, he was just kind of getting frustrated with the idea of when learning clarinet to get a read that worked for him. Now he's, he's a scientist. He's a, a doctor of um, several different varieties of engineering and uh, material science and stuff like that. And he was working kind of an isolated area and just was trying to learn to play clarinet. But there was always an issue of getting reads that were reliable and worked for him in the climates. And so he had the idea to use a certain kind of synthetic material and reached out to a professor at the University of Toronto, uh, who is the other founder of the company, Mark Korchot. And they uh, together started working and developing the first uh, synthetic clarinet reeds that uh, Legere made. That was kind of the, the beginning of it all. And after some developments, the product was launched in, um, I think it was Clarinet Fest in uh, 1998 or 1999, that's the one. And uh, they brought, I think, about 60 reeds, and they sold out on their very, very first day. And that's, uh, that's where it all started, you know? It was the desire to create a clarinet reed that was unaffected by heat and humidity and was reliable and consistent. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that, that first conversation where it was trying to, you know, propose the idea, because it, it does seem a bit outlandish to someone not in music that this would even be a problem. Absolutely. I mean, you don't really think about that, uh, you know, a piece of cane material would have certain problems like um, being affected by heat or humidity or altitude or uh, any of those things or be um, have trouble with consistency or uh, some stuff like that. So it was a, a unique problem that people wouldn't know unless they were, you know, woodwind players, really. You know, this is the place where most great innovations come from, though, is when disciplines kind of cross, you know, mm -hmm. so he, him playing and, and having this other experience 
gave him a new sort of insight into a solution, which honestly, a clarinet player by themselves probably would not come up with. So I think it's really interesting. And, uh, and it's a huge reason also as to why I think it's beneficial to explore different avenues. If you're an engineer, it can be great to play music. If you're playing music, maybe it's great to learn about engineering or any other subject. You know, it's, you don't want to stay too uh, in your own world, right? Absolutely. You know, be, be as uh, open-minded as you can about all these different things, you know. Um, so I teach music and a couple of my students, uh, one of them is a realtor and another one is a, uh, a retired lawyer. And uh, both of them say that doing music has helped them approach their own lives and their own um, situations uh, differently, which is fantastic. So as far as the design goes um, and sort of the materials, was it something where they sort of knew right, right away what they wanted to use or it took them a while to find something that really kind of worked? The idea was that there was a particular kind of material that they had a good idea would work and had no other uh, or uh, it didn't have too many other practical applications. So they figured out how it worked and how to make it. Pretty much from there, it's, it was like, oh, well, this works. Now we just have to continue to refine, continue to refine and refine the design and refine um, all of those bits and pieces. You know, the design has been very, very important. And we're always looking at new designs and uh, different products and different ways of uh, testing products with our artists and with um, our beta testing crew. It's a lot of working on trying to find the design that provides the uh, most ideal thing that we're looking for when we're um, planning on making a new product. And so last time I spoke with you guys, the I think the big design innovation was the the new uh, signature or the, the European signature reads. And my understanding is that these have some kind of like rails in them or, or little threads or how does that, how does that work? That referred to more the spine of material in the center of the reed. And that's not proprietary. I mean, you, if, if you look at one of them, you can see it. Any one of the European cut reeds for clarinets for E flat, B flat, or bass, they all have a little ridge of material in the center, which does help with focus and with resonance and helps um, stabilize the upper registers of the, of the instruments. But, uh, you know, some of the other innovations that come with it, like that's like the big visual thing, but the thinness and width of the tip, as well as the exact curve and slope and design of the vamp of the reed, all those things also really, really um, play into uh, why those reeds work so well. And so was there ever any thought about the, uh, cause an often thing that I hear about people saying with, with, with Leger reeds is, uh, or synthetic reeds in general, is oftentimes they're they're more clear or different looking from cane reeds was there an attempt originally made to kind of make them look like cane and then they just didn't or or why do they look the way they do i guess they're sort of a bluish color or almost clear yeah that's a, there's a, a real translucency to it so it's not fully transparent they're a little bit cloudy and it's almost see-through but it's not quite and there's like a hint of blue and like a little hint of gray almost the thing about it, the material there's nothing else in the reed except for the material there's no other additives. There's no other um, things that we have mixed in. There's no other fibers. There's no other um, bits and pieces of anything else. There's no layers. It's all just this one material that is uh, cut on CNC machines to form the exact shapes and designs that we're looking for. And uh, we did some testing, and, and this is before my time with the company, but we did do some testing and um, they tried to insert some dyes or to 
put like a layer of on the bottom or the top or to make sure that you could see the tip of the reed just a little bit clearer. You know, that's a, a concern that we hear is that I can't quite line the tip up. And of course, Legere reeds really do benefit from having the reed lined up at the, the tip of the reed lined up at the tip of the mouthpiece pretty perfectly. And so they tried this and pretty much everything that we did to a reed impacted the tone negatively. So that includes including like dye, because if you insert an extra material inside it, it changes the specific density of the reed. And that's like a, a, a real problem because the density and the unidirectional stiffness are two of the really, really big key factors in making a Leger reed sound and perform and respond all the way that it does. So that just straight up didn't work. And then putting anything on the outside of the reed increases the thickness of the reed. Uh, which also a detail that's really, really fixed and important. So there's, you know, a, a measurement that we have for the thickness since, and at the tip, it's like microns. It's, you know, fractions of a millimeter. And if that changes, if we add anything at all to it, that can also cause the reed to um, not respond the way we want it to. So of course, tone and response and playability are the most important things. And uh, to change that by adding anything, it uh, just doesn't work, unfortunately. Yeah, so I guess the, like it's, it's funny because no one would ever ask why cane looks a certain way. So it seems almost funny to, to concern yourself with why the other material looks the way it does. But people, it's called skeuomorphic design. Like a lot of, um, uh, for example, hubcaps, they look like proper rims on a car, right? But they're not anything like that. It's just to give you that sort of idea. So if I guess what we're, we're saying here is that... Um, they are that way because that's the way they are. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a little bit uh, a truism, right? It is the yeah. way it is, unfortunately. Or, or it's not one or the other. It just it is the way it is. The material is the material, and it has these properties that include this visual element. And uh, there's not a whole heck of a lot that we can do about it. Well, it's funny. I ask because I often find there's an interesting story to something like that. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's it's just. It's basically what we found out is these are kind of like that because that's the way they are. But for example, the new Vocalese CG mouthpiece from Bakun, which, as you know, was was made to kind of work with these reeds. Um, I remember when I saw some prototypes during the production phase, I was learning about this product a bit and had the fortune to see one and, and kind of get to know it a bit. My first question was, well, why is it this sort of bluish tinge? Like, why don't we try and wouldn't it be cool if it was more clear or more kind of matched the reed? But the problem is you can't line up a reed that's the same color as the mouthpiece. So I think that the color and the sort of the hue of the, the original design, which was more kind of purpley, they brought that into the new design, which is now kind of a bluish tint um, or greenish almost, so that you can see your synthetic reed on there <laughs> when you're lining it up, you know, which I thought was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. That's neat. Yeah, yeah. That's, I guess, maybe maybe one sort of interesting element to that. But um, along the lines of the, uh, the material and sort of you mentioned positioning it a bit higher, what are some other things that people should know as far as the differences between playing cane, reed, and synthetic? Because I feel I did a post about this on social media recently. I was talking about like how I switched to synthetic reeds and why I think that people should have kind of a spread to try from. And I know that seems like more expensive, but I mean, there are days when you want a slightly softer reed and, and you're going to want several to kind of pick from, right? So I would always advocate for buying four to eight synthetic reeds, making the investment, and then making the switch and <laughs> getting used to it, you know, but outside of keeping the tip uh, more in line with the mouthpiece, what other tips do you have? Aligning it perfectly, you know, it, that's that's such a, a key one. If the reed is a little bit, you know, with the cane reed, you can go a little bit over or a little bit 
under the tip and it will change the resistance that you have. And some players, you know, will put a cane read and they'll have the tip over the mouthpiece and it, it changes the tone. It changes a bit of the tuning or, or what have you. And uh, with Legere, it really works best just aligning it perfectly. That's kind of a, one of the big ones. Um, so we do recommend that that is always um, looked at. Things that um, first timers should try is make sure, you know, check out the strength chart to make sure that you're going to try the right strength. Because, you know, it, not all reads are matched evenly in terms of strength. And uh, I mean, you know, some of the, the bigger companies out there, even within their own reads, are also, you know, a two and a half is not necessarily a two and a half from one make in a brand to another. So it is important to make sure that you get the right thing. And that's why we have our exchange program too, is that you can, you know, buy a read. And if it's not quite what you're looking for, you're able to send it back to us um, and uh, we will swap it for a different read. You know, that, that's really, really helpful in helping players find the strength that they're looking for. Other things worth noting, I mean, Definitely the first couple of times I'd tried it, when I first tried Legere was uh, you still try and put it in your mouth. It's definitely an interesting uh, thing. And you, you don't necessarily need to, but it actually does help a little bit if you moisten the uh, table a little bit just so that the reed adheres to the table of the mouthpiece and creates a little bit of a, a seal there, which is kind of nice. One thing that is worth noting too is that ligatures you know, are important pretty broad statements, but <laughs> there are some ligatures that are not necessarily the best fits for Legere. If they are ligatures that don't necessarily hold the reed as much as it can could be held. So some reeds that have like areas that are carved out for a specific size of reed, especially for a cane reed, tend to be a little bit too large because Legere reeds are slightly thinner. And that's especially true of the, the European cut and the signature. Those are thinner than cane. You, you know, it's amazing that you mentioned those two things because uh, I don't know if you're reading my mind or what, but I was actually going to ask as my next question, if two things that I do are placebo or real. <laughs> and the one thing that I always make sure to do and tell people is to, even though you don't need to wet it, to make sure you wet that table because I feel like it creates a better seal. And otherwise the air can kind of leak out and that can cause some inconsistency in the performance. But Along the same lines, the other thing, the very thing I was going to ask you is the ligature. Like my experimentation with Legere has shown me that when I use like a rail style or ones with like those four points that put pressure, it just doesn't seem to make a proper seal and you get inconsistent performance. But if you do use more like a, like a, a one with a flat bottom that's not metal, that kind of gets a good grip on there, on the material, it's night and day. So if you're out there listening and you've tried this before and it hasn't worked, I, I would definitely take all this into account, like trying multiple reads, different strengths, making sure to wet that table, the ligature, all these things. I think it makes a huge, huge difference for actually experiencing the reads. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, any, any ligature that you can really kind of tighten a little bit is definitely worth a try. Uh, when I was speaking on Michelle Anderson, uh, clarinet mentor, we did a live stream together and she was saying that she really kind of tightened the ligature far more than she was used to when trying Legere's. Part of that is, yes, the reed is a little bit thinner and part of it, yeah, is that um, having the reed be gripped a little bit more does help it be a bit more secure. 
Absolutely. And let's talk about a couple other things too, which are, I think they're you know more minute points and they don't really affect the performance of the read, but for me, they're hugely appreciated. And I think that they took a lot of uh, design effort as well, just based on my last conversation. So the first is the stickers are gone. There used to be little stickers on the reads that would say Legere and also the strength of the read. And I understood originally those were there for two reasons. The first being that it was considered too complicated at the time to put you know, a stamp or something, but that the stamp was affecting the sound also. So what changed and allowed this innovation, which, you know, practically, like I said, it doesn't affect the sound, but that's the key, I guess, is that it doesn't affect the sound, but it sure is appreciated from a player's perspective because I used to get my reads and they do last a long time. And by the time you've washed them and played on them for a few months, you've lost the strength sticker and you don't know which is which. And so I really love it. It's, it's kind of an embossed black uh, logo and, and strength, which which looks great and is very, very convenient. So what's the story behind that? You said it right there. The uh, One of the biggest concerns that we've heard from players is that, yes, our reads last a very long time, but I will lose the sticker. And, uh, you know, the stickers would fall off. And yeah, for a long time, it was a bit too complicated to have a system where we could have the reads individually labeled with the strengths. But fortunately, technology changes and things change and uh, we're nothing if not very, very forward thinking when it comes to all of these little bits and pieces. And so when we found a technology that actually allowed us to print onto the read durably, reliably, consistently, and without changing any of the performance factors of the read, and that was it. And uh, so it took some time to, to get it working and to you know, completely and totally rejig our um, labeling operation, right? Because uh, it was once a process done in one way is now done completely differently. So this was a big change. This was definitely a big change, but uh, it is was 100% worth it in that now you can never lose the strength of the read. So that's kind of how it came around. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, customer demand and it was very, very important to us to figure out how. And for the longest time, there just wasn't really a good way to do it without uh, causing some problem somewhere. Now that we have it, it is, um, it's a big benefit. It's for sure a big benefit. I think it's such a testament to your company's um, uh, commitment to the sound, though, to have gone so long with something they know is kind of a, a sore point with customers, but to keep it that way for the, the benefit of the end result, which is the music, really, and not move on until it was really ready. Absolutely. And, and, and that's nothing to say about the amount of experimentation that it took and the time that it took for us to figure out how to do this right. That's, 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 oh, that's a really, really important part of the Legere philosophy. You know, we, we do a lot of stuff and we test and we test and we test almost incessantly to uh, find ways to do the things that we want to do without compromising on things like playability. And it was the same story with the case. You know, that was a, a completely invented product that we designed and manufactured. Well, we designed it in-house completely. Um, and that was because no one else was doing exactly what we wanted to do and we wanted to do it right. This is another thing I just love because I've used Leisure Reads since I, you know, was in marching band, like I said. And and another sort of concern I always had is that you're not supposed to keep them in a certain type of read case that puts pressure on the tip, but yet so many do, right? So this is great that these are, are like this. Um, a couple bits of feedback did come in in the comments on the post that I made, though. Someone was asking, why are they so big? And I think the reason, if I may, is that 
aren't these the same cases then for all the the products like the Barry Sachs Reed even and yep 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 yeah so they all fit in here that's 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 why I... and and not just Barry Sachs I mean contrabass clarinet fits in the same case uh, the bassoon and oval reeds also fit in the same case the only difference in each of the cases is the little small thing that holds the reed. That's the part that we change and we swap that part out depending on what it is. Uh, and it, it was just more efficient to only make the one of these and uh, change out the inserts. So that way we never made too many of the, of the wrong thing or we manufactured too many you know, cases that we would never use and would end up needing to be recycled or anything. So we have one case and changeable inserts and uh, it's just a, a better way logistically all the way around. So I do want to touch on the recyclability because I think, I think that's important. A lot of people might see this as just more packaging, but it's important to note that like this is a recyclable packaging and all the packaging these reads come in are recyclable, including the reads themselves. I just want to point out too that, or if I could ask you about it, someone commented that they're really having trouble with the new case. They're, they're not understanding how to put the reed in. And I thought, maybe I just picked up on this right away, but don't you just put a corner in and then kind of press it down? Is that the best way? Or are you supposed to, because people I think are trying to slide it in from the top or something, and that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Yeah, put it in one half at a time and then press it in. You know, you think you're putting a lot of pressure on the reed, but the amount of flex that the internal part that holds the reed has is uh, very, very defined. And again, it's extremely intentional and it will allow the reed to go in without having to push too hard or cause damage to it as long as you're pressing right at the heel which is, you know, the thickest part of the reed and uh, the most durable. You know, sliding it up and down seems like it might because there's all that extra space at the tip, especially for smaller reeds. You know, I've got, this is an alto reed that I'm holding in my hand. And if you push it too far towards the tip, it can break yeah. the tip and then you'll chip the tip and crack it. And that is uh, not ideal. Okay, so I think that answers that. So if you're listening out there, uh, Roxy Mundo 1100, <laughs> try doing what we said there. Put the, kind of the corner of the reed into the little slot and then push down the other side. And I've had no difficulty with that. It doesn't seem to risk damaging at all. It's, in fact, it's very, it's very quick. I love the, the tactile, the sound feedback. Mm -hmm. I love that this is, too. This, this is your ASMR for the yeah, podcast. Exactly. Just, uh... Let's just click these against the microphones oh, yeah. here for a few minutes. I think it's great. And you know, um, the only thing that I would, you know, suggest or request, if I may, is I would love one of these that was like five reeds wide that I could pop my reeds into. Like if you could sell an accessory or something that would be able to accommodate, you know, my addiction of these reeds. <laughs> we're, we're always looking at new ways of, uh, of benefiting our customers and to have something like that is, is definitely something that uh, is worth thinking about for sure. Awesome. Yeah, if I could uh, also touch on the recyclability, I'll just... This is important. It is, absolutely. You know, and it's a big concern. And of course, it's a big concern. All everyone has, uh, especially with something that is a product that you use and will eventually dispose of in some way, you know, is that, yes, the case is recyclable. It is polypropylene. And uh, the reed is recyclable. And it's polypropylene as well. All of the packaging, the cardboard is all recyclable. And the reason, you know, that why this is important too for durability, and, and this is a big concern, you know, the durability of the reed, the standalone reed case is that a lot of players, if you only have one, it's worth having a reed case that you know is going to be durable and will 
allow you to transport it and be safe and confident and secure uh, with the read. And you know, for any player, if you just have one, it's worth having the read inside a case that you can trust that will cause no damage to the read. It also does really help us quite a bit in shipping that uh, reads generally do well to ship inside these cases that have a little bit more sturdiness to them, which was great for uh, anyone who was buying reads from retailers. You'd have um, before in the old packaging, they would, you know, might have to put a read inside a box and then fill the box with fiber or with uh, wrapping of some sort. And now retailers are able to ship a single Legere read with this case inside a bubble mealer which is actually, uh, well, it saves a lot of weight, which reduces the carbon footprint there. And it also saves the cardboard, which is fantastic. So, the, you know, there, there were a lot of reasons and, and this was a, a long thought out decision to, to include this case with every read. Well, I think it's great. I think people will be really happy with it. And uh, if, if it's been a while since you've last tried, you know, these reads, maybe it's time to give them a second go, especially if, you know, you were before five years ago when the, the signatures even came out. I mean, you've missed a lot. A lot has changed. It's time maybe to to reconsider this. But uh, what would you say to those people who just can't seem to bring themselves to try synthetic reads or they feel some sort of like connection with the cane? And, and I, get, I get it in a way. I mean, it, to each their own. But there just comes a point where like this does seem like the future and it's come so far, it, it kind of be like, you know, I miss feeding my horse, so I don't want to drive a car. Like, what, at what stage do we sort of consider this as, as, a, as a legitimate option for those who are still on the fence? You have only to look at our list of endorsing artists to see that top tier players around the world consider Legere an option and their option and, the, you know, not even just their option, their preference. Well, I think David Schifrin said it best here on the podcast, actually, about 50 episodes ago now. <laughs> he said something like, uh, every minute I don't spend adjusting my reads is a minute I get to play. This, he feels, so many people are so opposed to starting students on synthetic reads because they want them to, for some reason, get the, the cane experience, whether it be the frustration or the, the mold, I'm not sure which they prefer. But, <laughs> but uh, he was even advocating for students, like every minute they have that clarinet in their mouths is a minute they're getting better. And at, at a formative time, it's so important. Absolutely. The, the more time you're able to spend practicing and working on those things and playing and, you know, even just playing for the enjoyment of playing, you know, it's uh, having it ready, having it as an option and available and ready to go are all things that make the music making experience more enjoyable. And that process, that elimination of the frustration, that elimination, that, that, that making it easy is so key. And I mean, that was, uh, you know, the formative mission of the company. You know, when we go back to Guy Legere wanting a read that just did what he wanted it without having to, to soak it and to worry about the heat and drying out and blah, 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 blah. And all of that comes right back to the, the same mission that it is ideal to have it ready to go whenever you want. And that it plays fantastically and that is trusted by performers around the world is is just more evidence to the fact that yes absolutely it's worth a try you know so i have two last little listener questions here the last one is again from laura clarinetist and she says what was the most challenging read to design each read poses unique challenges and development of reads it's not linear you know it does not 
uh, putting in X amount of time does not guarantee X amount, uh, uh, Y rather, uh, development. Some were easier than others um, just by coincidence. Um, some were more difficult than others by other coincidences. But I can tell you for sure, whichever one it is, it's probably going to be the double reads. They're twice as much challenge. And, and double reads uh, are a big challenge. You know, there's a lot of player preference and a lot of individuality when it comes to reads that uh, it is understood and assumed that players will make their own. Going into that market to try and find a way to make a product that would work for, you know, double read players was difficult, was a challenge. It's funny you mentioned that because I remember when I first learned this, that, you know, most bassoon and, and oboe players will make their own reads. I was interested because my question at some point was, well, wait a minute, what do the students do? Like, you can't just have a young kid give them a reed knife and go sit in the corner, and make your own bassoon read for 42 hours. You know, I learned that they would have like a professional make the reeds, including playtesting. And then they box them up and sell them. And I was like, oh, man, that is uh, that is something else. <laughs> so I think this is a lot more sanitary, uh, uh, you know, for kids, I would think. Man, I mean, we, uh, no one tests our reads. No one ever <laughs> plays them before. Uh, and, and that was it's definitely uh, I mean, that's part of the culture of double reads is that that is um, what's done. That's uh, yeah, it's standard practice for them, um, which is interesting. It is a, it's a unique challenge to develop um, something that has the nuance that individual players are looking for. And that took a very long time to develop. But we're always working on it, too. Well, I love to hear the musical side of it is, is so seriously considered because, you know, a layperson might say, OK, well, a B-flat clarinet read is 30% smaller than a bass read. Why can't you just make the B-flat read and then... Hey guys, pump the machinery with this new number of dimension, and then we'll just make that too, you know. But it sounds like there's so much musical testing and work with the players. Absolutely, it it is interesting to hear, and this is one of the really really uh, cool factors with Legere is that almost no one who works for the company is a musician. We do most, uh, the vast majority of our testing externally with our endorsing artists, with our beta testing uh, group, with uh, other performers all over the place. That is uh, the source of where we do a great deal of our refining and our testing and our um, development of some of our ideas. And it's been a source of the success in terms of how we get to the products that we get to. I love it. And this last question, this is almost not allowed on the podcast. It's about saxophone. Oh, no. Oh, God. This is from uh, Irizari Joe from Instagram. And I only ask it because uh, I'm nice. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I know there's also a new line of saxophone reads out. And he's just asking which one would produce the darkest sound for his alto sax. The signature is probably the best, probably the best bet. So the other read that he's referring to is the uh, American Cut, which is our newest read for alto and tenor saxophone, which is uh, a little bit brighter, you know, kind of has a, a bit of a, a resonant, bold, bright, intense projection, intense resonance. And uh, really, a lot of what the American Cut for a saxophone, here's our clarinet connection, so that makes you allowed to talk about it on the podcast, is that a lot of the uh, general concepts that worked for the European cut read for clarinet are things that we took and sort of applied them to elements of the American cut read. Hmm, okay. So 
Saxophone players get choice now too, so that's good. Absolutely, it's got. Hey, everyone's got to have choice. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much again for talking with me today. If you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or now Amazon as well, it's available there if you haven't checked that out. Uh, the show will end here, but for those supporting on Patreon, first of all, thank you so much for making the show possible, all 70 of you in there now. Uh, but you're also going to get access to an extended uh, lightning round version of the show. So you can head to clarineat.com slash subscribe if you'd like to get access to that for as little as $1 per month. So thank you so much, Sean, for coming on the show. And do be sure to check out Legere Reads at Legere.com or L-E-G-E-R-E.com or at your local music retailer. Absolutely. No, thank you for uh, having me on. You know, it was great to, great to chat and great to talk about Legere or something that, uh, you know, we're really, really passionate about and we love getting the message out there to get people into it. People who have questions, you know, they're absolutely able to get in touch with me directly. My email is uh, sean.k at legere.com. That's sean.k at legere. You know, read every email that comes in pretty much uh, as part of my role as, you know, manager of customer experience. So, any questions i'm happy to answer everything absolutely i love how your name is not only also sean but spelled the right way as well so that's that's perfect gotta be done i mean that's the only reason i'm on the podcast right exactly the sean and neat (laughs) thank you for tuning in to the claire neat podcast if you're new around here, do not forget to dive into our extensive back catalog that features over 150 conversations now. These are with great clarinetists like Stanley Drucker, Laurie Friedman, Michael Lowenstern, Laura Clarinetist, and many others. And if you enjoyed today's content, you will love what's coming up on the program as well. I've got a conversation in particular with legendary New Orleans clarinetist Doreen Ketchens coming up on the program. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't miss a single episode. This is free and can be done on any podcasting platform or, of course, you can listen on the website at clarinet.com. If you'd like to get access to even more Clarinet and want to hear the ad-free extended episodes, you can do this at clarinet.com slash subscribe for as little as $1 per month. Special thank you to all of our 70 Patreon backers for supporting the show and to our season sponsors, Legere Reads and Bakun Musical Services for making the production of this show possible. Speaking of Bakun, if you did take advantage of their spring cleaning sale a couple weeks ago, you might find yourself now with a lot of barrels and bells and you're not really sure where to put them, so you might be interested to learn that they actually carry an accessory carrying case which holds up to 18 mouthpieces or 14 barrels or sort of a combination of each. So no matter how big your collection is or even if it's growing and you can't seem to control it, this will allow you to take all your favorite barrels and mouthpieces with you wherever you go. You can purchase this item with 10% off on the Bakun Musical website by using code Clarineat at bakunmusical.com. That's code Clarineat at checkout at bakunmusical.com. And also Legere Reads, and you know, I've been doing this Invisalign treatment, which I spoke about last time, and you know, don't tell my dentist, but I have to take out the trays to talk, or I find it's actually better to take them out to play too, so hopefully that's not too many hours without them. But I do have to say that as I'm learning to get used to my new embouchure as it changes, it is so nice to not have to stress about my reads. I've been using the same read for a few weeks now with no problems at all, it's totally consistent, it works every time I pick up the clarinet, and it's just such a great thing about playing Legere. So don't forget, you can also grab Legere Reads at the Bakun website as well, and the Clarinet coupon does still apply. So thank you so much to Legere and to Bakun for sponsoring the program. And thank you to Legere, especially for coming on today as well to be the featured guest. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. And just a little Easter egg here at the end, if you listened all the way, you might be wondering, wait a minute, last week I listened to episode 158. Now we've got episode 157. What's going on? 
Well, I know this is hard to believe, but I actually made a mistake with the episode order. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> when it went out, I was super shocked. And uh, so here we are, and we'll be back on with the normal episode numbering next time. So I hope this doesn't screw up your iTunes music library too much or the website. <laughs> and I, uh, I know it's jarring to the eye, but here we are. Made a mistake. Sorry about that. We'll go on with episode 159 next time. Thanks so much. I look forward to seeing you next time.